Uh, we are in our summer series called Juice, uh, the key ingredients to healthy relationships. And so this is, uh, the series is based out of Galatians 5, where the Apostle Paul is writing and talking about the fruits of the Spirit. And I don't know about you, but when my life gets squeezed, uh, what comes out of me is not always something that I'm proud of. And I'm sure you can relate in moments of stress, in moments where you have plans and your plans don't quite go the way that you want them to, uh, or you have a certain expectation that doesn't get met. Uh, often we look in the mirror at what's actually coming out of us in those moments and we're like, that is not the type of person I want to be, not the type of parent I want to be, the spouse I want to be, friend I want to be, uh, and it happens. Uh, but God calls us to a higher level of living. He calls us to... Uh, what is referred to in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit, so that when we get squeezed, what actually comes out of us is something that reflects uh, the character of God. And, uh, you know, even as I was thinking about this, this squeezed theme, I was changing channels this week, and, uh, and I don't know if you guys, uh, I know, I'm going back to TV shows, uh, but the, have you guys seen the show Dr. Pimple Popper? I, the people that laughed have seen it. The people that are like, what is that? So no word of a lie. And I, I can't, I, I don't do that type of thing. I, I had to turn away. But uh, there's, a, there's a show on TV now. Uh, the whole show is about watching people pop pimples. That's uh, like small pimples, big pimples. And uh, it's like, it's on all the time apparently. So uh, I don't, that doesn't really have any relevance other than like, it, it's just gross. When that thing gets squeezed, it's, it's gross. And I had to change the channel. Uh, but I don't know what comes out of your life when you get squeezed. <laughs> Maybe something that you don't like to look at. Hopefully that when we get squeezed as followers of Jesus, that there's something that we're, we're proud of uh, that, gets, that comes out of us, something that is Christ-like uh, in us. So in Galatians 1, Paul is uh, beginning his letter to uh, the Galatian church. And he writes this, he says, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news but is not the good news at all. See, the problem in the church in Galatians is they started uh, following a way of living that was contrary to the actual good news that Jesus invited them uh, to live. And he goes on and he talks about two different types of good news, two different ways of living. And the first week, uh, we, we talked about these, but just to recap, uh, the, the counterfeit gospel, this good news that is a different way that is no good news at all, is all about what you do. It's about what I do. But the good news of Jesus is all about what he has done. So instead of relying on your own effort and what you do, it's about re relying on what Jesus has done for you through his death and resurrection. The counterfeit good news is about getting God's approval. Working to get God's approval. The real good news recognizes that God loves you and you only need to receive his love. The counterfeit gospel, counterfeit good news, says it's all about external duty. It's how you behave. It's how you live. But the real good news says it's actually about internal desire and, and it, doesn't matter how, uh, it doesn't matter how hard you try and behave. You can't actually change yourself from the, inside, uh, from the outside in. It has to come from the inside out. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So Paul goes on to say in Galatians chapter 5, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't 
be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just, what, just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. We often flip this verse. Not intentionally, but I think we, we often believe the exact opposite. So Paul says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And I think we often live in this way. Don't do what your sinful nature craves, and then the Holy Spirit can guide your life. Or in the NIV, the verse says, uh, which is a different version of the Bible, uh, translation of the Bible, sorry, it, it reads like this, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. But I think we flip it and we say, don't gratify the desires of your flesh, work really hard not to do that, and then you'll be able to walk by the Spirit. Paul is actually saying the opposite of how we often function. And he goes on to say, the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. And every time I read this passage, all I can think about is my three boys. They just, they're always battling each other, always fighting each other. I'm always having to discipline them and send them to the rooms. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, a couple of them live in the same room, and so that doesn't always work very well. Uh, but they're always fighting each other, and I... And, and it's just, it's so frustrating as a parent. You get in the van, you get home, you're, wherever, wherever you're doing, they're just always bickering and fighting each other. This is a picture, I think, of, of what the Holy Spirit wants in our lives and what our flesh want. They're always at odds with each other, always fighting for our allegiance. This morning, the title of the sermon is The Pursuit of Happiness. And that phrase is taken from the American Declaration of Independence. And that paragraph reads like this, We hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable, that all men are created equal and independent, that from equal creation they derive rights inherent and inalienable, among which are the preservation of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. I think the, that Declaration of Independence got something right, that the pursuit of happiness is exactly that. It's a pursuit. Uh, and I, what I want to talk about this morning is how actually unfruitful the pursuit of happiness is. And I told my wife, Lisa, the title of my sermon, The Pursuit of Happiness, and, and she responded to me by saying, that title makes me think of Will Smith, and that makes me happy. So we are, the fruit of the Spirit that we're looking at are one aspect of the fruit, because we talked about uh, that it's not fruits of the Spirit, it's fruit of the Spirit. So when the fruit of the Spirit grows in your lives, these are the type of characteristics, the type of flavors uh, that are squeezed out of you. And so one aspect of this fruit is joy. And so a really quick outline for this morning, what we're talking about, what it, joy. Firstly, what it is and isn't. Second, how to sabotage it. Third, how to safeguard it. And fourth, how to find it if you've lost it. I think we got those on the screen. What it is and isn't, how to sabotage it, how to safeguard it, how to find it if you've lost it. So first, let's talk about what it is and isn't. If you look at any commercial on TV, any advertisement on the internet, it, it pretty much follows the exact same formula. It says you will not be happy unless you have X. And you will not get X unless you have this product. 
You will not be happy unless you have a smoking hot girlfriend, and you want to get a smoking hot girlfriend unless you have Axe Cologne. Right? You won't be happy unless you have the freedom to explore this world, but you won't have the freedom to explore this world unless you have a Ford F-150. So you, you, can, you can plug that formula into almost any commercial, and, and you can see uh, how it works, that happiness is dependent on this thing, and you're not going to get your happiness until you get that thing. Here's a definition of happiness that I'm going to work off of this morning. Happiness is confidence I experience from gaining control of my life to keep my circumstances favorable. Favorable. Read that again. Happiness is confidence I experience from gaining control of my life to keep my circumstances favorable. Do we have that slide for the screen? Em, do you have that? Oh, there it is. Confidence I experience from gaining control of my life to keep my circumstances favorable. Amy Bloom, wrote, uh, who is a writer, wrote an article in the New York Times called Surefire Components of Happiness. If you want to be happy, these are the components that you need for happiness. The basics, food, shelter, and safety. Get enough sleep. That's the second one. Relationships that matter. Fourth, care of others and yourself. Work that excites and engages. So this is the list of the surefire components of happiness. If you have these five items, you will be a happy person. And some of you look at this list and you're like, oh, maybe I'm scoring two out of five on there, I'm not getting enough sleep. Uh, Hopefully you have work that's exciting and engaged, but maybe you don't. And, and you're looking at that list and you're like, okay, now I understand why I'm not happy. But if this list is true, if, it, it, if it's true that you need these five components to be happy, at least half of the world has no chance in being happy. Would you guys agree with that? If this is actually what it takes to be happy, you know, there's people in this world that can't get enough sleep, that are trying to find food and shelter and safety, every day of their lives, that don't have work. And so we buy into this pursuit of happiness and the idea that, you know, i got to get these five things or get this thing and then I can actually be happy. And what happens is when one of these five things, when we don't have these five things, we call this some aspect of suffering. But here's the paradox of suffering that we learn in the Bible, that suffering can actually be a catalyst for joy. So the world says you can't have these things. If you don't have these things, then you can't be happy. And if we don't have these things, then we're suffering. Uh, but the Bible actually brings us an invitation to joy that is through suffering. Like Romans 3 verse 5 says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And it goes on to say, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confidence and hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So Paul, in writing Romans, connects this joy, this rejoicing to problems and trials and suffering. James also writes in chapter 1 of uh, his book, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, 
When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for what? Great What? Great joy. Let's try it one more time. Consider an opportunity for great joy. Thank you, Cecile. Great joy. This is a paradox, is it not? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You'll be content. And so when Paul talks about a different way, a different gospel in chapter 1 of Galatians, sometimes we can buy into this different gospel, this good news that we see in our world, in our commercials. Uh, And sometimes the church baptizes that gospel. And it's been called various things through the year, whether it's prosperity gospel or health and wealth. Uh, And this has been a tragedy to many missionary efforts to reach impoverished nations. Because if this is your idea of the gospel, that Jesus brings you X and Y so that you can be happy, then it's not really good news for half of the world. But if the good news is actually good news, it's good news for everybody. Amen? So Jesus doesn't bring us a counterfeit gospel. He brings us a gospel that actually has the potential to embrace suffering. And Mary, and maybe ironically, it is through suffering that we, we can experience great joy. A prosperity gospel or health and wealth gospel undermines the cross. It says that the cross is something that Jesus experienced so that you don't have to. But as followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, Jesus invited us and said, pick up your cross and follow me. If you want to experience the, king, the kingdom, the doorway to the kingdom is the cross. The doorway to the kingdom is to deny yourself. So if joy is not dependent on circumstance, if joy is possible and potentially even accessible through suffering, what is joy? So we're going to work off this definition this morning. Joy, the assurance I experience from knowing and trusting God regardless of my circumstances. The assurance that I experience from knowing and trusting God regardless of my circumstances. Right? Versus happiness, confidence I experience from gaining control of my life to keep my circumstances favorable. So often suffering, and I think this is why suffering can actually be a a doorway to joy, is because suffering brings you into greater intimacy and dependency on God. It brings you into greater trust uh, in Jesus. The word for joy in the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in, is kara. Can you guys say kara? So kara, the the root part of that word kar, is the same word that we get the word grace from, which is charis. And that word means grace. Uh, It's also the same root as charisma, where we get the word charisma from, obviously. Uh, But the, the meaning of charisma is favor freely given or a gift of grace. And so inherent in the very word of joy is this idea that joy cannot come from you. That joy is a gift. That joy comes from something outside of yourself that is given to you that you receive. So if we compare happiness and joy, happiness depends on happenings. Depends on what happens in your life. But my joy is my job. You actually have to take ownership for joy. 
We'll talk about that in a minute. Happiness starts from the outside. Joy starts from the inside. In Proverbs 4.13, it says, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. So even that image is not an image of trying harder, but of something overflowing from the inside out. Guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. Happiness is based on chance. Joy is based on choice. Happiness is rooted in circumstances, but joy is rooted in Christ. So we talked a little bit about what it is, what it isn't. Now let's talk about how to sabotage it. Some of us are really good at sabotaging joy, aren't we? And there's lots of ways that we sabotage joy, and, and we could talk about that for all morning. Uh, but I would summarize all of those things in, in one big category uh, as idolatry. That's how we sabotage joy, idolatry. You know, sometimes when we think of that word today, we, 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 we think we don't have an idolatry problem. We're not making images and bowing down and worshiping images. Uh, and if you've been around SunWest for a long time, you know... Uh, I've taught on idolatry before. Idolatry is more than that. We can actually worship anything. And when we worship anything other than Christ, other than God our Father, we sabotage our joy. Let me show you a couple of examples of this in Matthew 13. Uh, Jesus tells a couple of parables that describe the kingdom. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then his what? Then his joy, then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. In his joy. Jesus right away says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. We see this concept in Jesus' teaching that there's things in this world that we think will bring us joy. The paradox of this good news is that we need to be willing to let these things go. In fact, some of us may need to let things go in order to fully grasp the joy and the gospel and the good news that Jesus invites us to. If we compare this to another story in Matthew 19, we kind of see the flip side of this. A guy comes to Jesus, says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, If you want to enter life, keep all the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. And Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Obviously referring to some of the great commandments uh, that Moses gave in Exodus. And, uh, but you'll notice that one of, the one of the commandments that Jesus didn't give the man was, You shall have no other gods before me. So a man replies, he says, I've kept all those. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. I find the emotion, uh, the word sad in this story just fascinating. The man went away sad because he, he had lots of possessions. Our emotions are our friend. Our emotions actually tell us something about what we worship. And I'm going to invite you to reflect for a second. What makes you sad? 
Where do you experience lack of joy? Pay attention to your emotions. What do they tell you? When do you, eat, when, you, when do you get sad easily? When do you get angry easily? And even the opposite, where, when do you get really excited? Those emotions often will point you in the direction of your idols. You know, in, an, an emotionally aware person will ask themselves when they're feeling sadness or they're feeling anger, why am I feeling this way? It's a great question that I, that I learned to start asking a number of years ago when I'm feeling something to actually, because sometimes you don't know why you're feeling that, and to go back in your day and to think through my day and say, well, why am I starting to feel this way? And I can identify, usually as I reflect and invite God to illuminate that, a point in my day, a conversation in my day, a situation in my day that brought this emotion in. Why am I so angry? Why am I so sad? Why, why am I so excited? Is is there an idol that I am looking to other than the person of Jesus? Because I truly believe this, that your pursuit of happiness could ruin your joy. Your pursuit of happiness could ruin your joy. If we think to the beginning of the biblical story, you have Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden, and remember, they, they had a choice between which fruit they were going to pick from. And they picked from the wrong tree. And the reason they picked from the wrong tree is because they believed for a moment that didn't, they didn't have what they needed. They believed for a moment that God was holding out on them. They believed for a moment that there was something else other than what they already had that would that they were losing out on because they didn't have it. Where do you feel lack in your life? Where do you feel like if I just had X, if I just had this amount of money, or maybe when I retire, or when I have kids, when I get married, when I can drive a car, when I can have sex, when I can get that job, when I can have health, in the way that I've been longing for it. What, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that tree is for you that, that you're tempted by, that you start thinking, if I just had this, and you feel, you feel like God has been holding out on you, but you're waiting for it. If you want stuff more than you want God, you will always be wanting. If you want stuff more than you want God, you'll always be wanting. And that is what sabotages our joy. Idolatry. So how do you safeguard joy? Just a couple of very practical things for us. How, how do you safeguard it? How, how do you ensure you have joy? Focus on giving rather than getting. I don't know if this was ever a thing in Alberta. I grew up in Manitoba, but uh, there's a whole bunch of weird things in Manitoba I'm realizing the longer I live here. Uh, I won't name them all. I just, I just have my parents who have lived in Manitoba their whole life over here for a four, few days, and I'm like, that is weird. I didn't think that was weird when I grew up. Um, but one of the things that we had was this, uh, this uh, give a penny, take a penny jar. Did you guys ever have these here? Okay, maybe it's not a Manitoba thing. I, I, I apologize to you Manitobans. Uh, 
Need a penny, take a penny. And, uh, and so I remember growing up uh, often being shortchanged uh, when I was purchasing things, and there was this beautiful uh, canister or uh, container there by the till that just said, you know, you need money, you take money. And so I would often go to the till and be like, oh, I'm 25 cents short. I'd take out a quarter. And I was like, oh, there you go. Or I'm 10 cents short. Uh, and, and so I, just, I would just always take out of this jar. I thought that was what it was there to do, and it, that's what it was there to do. Uh, and as I grew up, and that idea kind of phased out, uh, I missed the memo. And so uh, there was tip jars that those were replaced with. <laughs> and I remember the first few times I, I kind of paid, and then I you know, took some money out of the tip jar. Uh, to, and I would, I would get these dirty looks, and then uh, I didn't get with the program quick enough, I guess, say. But there's a paradigm shifting that needs to happen for us. We, we, we always talk about it's better to give than to receive. And that's, we know it's true in our heads, but do we actually live like that? Do we actually focus on giving rather than getting? You know, as a disciple of Jesus, it, it starts with receiving. It starts from a receiving grace, forgiveness, love from God. But very quickly, the journey of discipleship, the journey of following Jesus doesn't become about you at all. And Jesus invites us to be a part of this generous kingdom that is focused on giving, not getting. In Matthew 5, the, Jesus gives his Sermon on the Mount that we often refer to as the Beatitudes, and, and, it's, and it's basically line after line of blessed are those who, and then he fills in the blanks. And some translations actually translated happy, which is a bad translation, but, but I think it challenges our concept of happiness and contentment. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the persecuted. It flips this whole idea of receiving on its head. A second way that I think we safeguard joy as we fill the gap with trust. And this is what I mean by that. Often we have an expectation of somebody. Uh, let me use one hypothetical example, and it is, it is hypothetical. Uh, let's say, that, you know, SunWest staff, they're, you know, I'm going to pick on Colton. Colton's always late. Again, this is hypothetical. I'm, I am being hypothetical. Colton's always late. And so I have an expectation of Colton that he's going to be on time. And my expectation and reality are different things, right? And there's a gap between these two. And we can, in those moments, choose what we fill that gap with. Do we fill that gap with suspicion? Well, Colton's late because he doesn't actually care about the ministries that are going on in SunWest. Colton's late because he's not a team player or Colton's late. I could fill in the gap with a whole bunch of narrative. But the irony is that we don't hold ourselves to that same standard, do we? We have an expectation on ourselves. I know I'm late. Well, obviously I'm late because I got so many important things going on in my life and my expectation is that other people would fill that gap with trust. What do you fill the gap with in your life? When you have an expectation on your spouse, on a friend, on an employee, on God, 
Whether the ex expectation is accurate or uh, in many ways is actually irrelevant, but whatever your expectation is and your experience are less than your expectation, how do you fill that gap? Because when we start to fill that gap with judgment and suspicion and a critical spirit, our joy is robbed from us. So we safeguard joy by being generous and giving. We safeguard joy by choosing to trust. In fact, if you go through Scripture and you do a survey of all the times that joy is mentioned in the Bible, you will often find that trust is talked about within the vicinity of that passage on joy. Trust and joy go hand in hand. So how do you find it if you lost it? You're someone you feel like you've lost your joy. Well, if idolatry is how we sabotage joy, and idolatry is simply worshiping anything other than God, I would argue that the antidote, the antidote to losing your joy is actually worshiping God. What does that look like? Well, two very practical things. We can worship God with our time. So think back to your last few days, the last few weeks. Are you spending time with the Lord? Are you carving out time in your day to abide? John 15 talks about abiding with Christ. And if you do not abide with Christ, you can't produce anything, which is a beautiful you know, partnership passage to Galatians 5. So we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. How do, you, how do you have the fruit of the Spirit? Well, you need to abide with Christ. You cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit if you're not abiding with Christ because it's, it's the essence. What, what we're talking about when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit is the essence of who God is. And if it comes from the inside out, it comes through supernatural transformation, which only happens when we spend time with God. Are you spending time with the Lord? Are you waking up in the morning or in the evening, or are you pausing during the scope of your day to actually abide with Jesus? A practice that I've, uh, I've promoted and taught on multiple times is the practice of journaling. Most of us don't journal, and I was not, I'm not a candidate for journaling. Uh, but I found that when I started the practice of journaling, the practice of writing down what I felt like God was saying in my life and writing down my prayers and writing down what, uh, that conversation with God, it, it became a practical way to abide with the Lord. And let me give you a summer journaling challenge. If you're not a journaler, take the rest of the summer and say, I'm going to carve out time in my summer, in my holidays, in my work week this summer to journal, to abide, to listen. Uh, and again, the, the acronym I use for journaling is SOAP. Can you guys say SOAP? S-O-A-P. So this is just a very quick, practical way to journal. You say, I don't know where to start. Pick a book of the Bible. Pick a gospel. Let's, let's say the book of, you know, start at the book of Luke. I'll just, let's pick Luke. Uh, take a section of Luke. It doesn't even have to be a chapter, just like one segment. And you read it. And then the S stands for Scripture. So you read the Scripture. And then you write down a word or a phrase or something from the text that stood out to you. So you just write it down. The O stands for observation. So you write down, what, what is happening in this text? You know, what is, what's happening between Jesus and disciples or whatever might be happening in that, that moment? So it's just an observation. You're not applying it yet. That's for the A. So you get to A and that's application. If this is what it meant at that time, what does it mean for me today? And then P is for prayer. And I would encourage you, and often for years I skipped out and, then I, and I was missing out. I wouldn't write out my prayers. But I would encourage you to write out your prayer. And even spend time in listening prayer, not just like throwing up requests to God, but what I've done is, you know, I put a G in my journal 
or I put an M first and I, I, I pray to God and then I write a G and I say, what do I feel like the Lord is saying to me? And I write down what he's saying to me. And then I put an M and then I respond and then I put a G and I, and I, and I write out this conversation with God. To, for, with 15 to 20 minutes in your day, you can read a section of scripture, you can abide with the Lord and uh, you can have a listening prayer exercise in a, with regularity. And I believe that if you spend time doing that, you will start to be surprised at how often the Lord speaks to you about something in those moments that you will need in the next 24 hours. How often he gives you something so that when you get squeezed, that there's something else that's coming out other than that gross pimple. <laughs> so we worship with our time. We also worship with our treasure. And, uh, and I would encourage you that don't have a practice of financial generosity to reconsider. This isn't really about tithing. I, you know, I would encourage you to give, give somewhere else if, you, if you're suspicious about tithing practice. You know, my, my, my invitation to you is to, uh, whether it's SunWest or whether it's uh, another organization or whether it's another person, to try sacrificial generosity. Just try it. Because what happens is when we worship God with our treasure by giving sacrificially, it creates a dependency on God and you'll be surprised at the joy that you experience by blessing somebody else. So how do you find it if you lose it? You worship. You worship with your time, worship with your treasure. And I want to end with Nehemiah 8.10 that says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. I've heard, how many of you guys have heard this verse? I, you know, even before I really read scripture myself, I knew this verse because people would say it all the time in, in church or the circles that I grew up in. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I was like, oh, it's, it's a nice sounding phrase, but what does it actually mean? Uh, I never really thought about m much what it means, to be honest. And so I started pondering this verse this week. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It doesn't say the joy, your joy in the Lord is your strength, which is maybe how I th thought of this verse just in the past without putting too much thought into it. But it begs the question, what is the joy of the Lord? What is the joy of the Lord? Have you ever thought about this? So I did some quick research and I, you know, just curious, what, what is the joy of the Lord? Let me read to you a few passages that talk about the joy of the Lord. For the joy that was set before him, he, who is Jesus, endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, what is the joy that he's talking about? It's bringing people back into relationship with God, us. How about Isaiah 65? And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. Isaiah 62 verse 5. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. In Luke 17, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Zephaniah 3.17 he will take great delight in you 
and he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 3, 17. In fact, if you, if you look at the word, the joy of the Lord is what God feels when human beings come into relationship with him. The joy of the Lord are when you and I discover our identities as sons and daughters of God. We receive strength when we abide in the joy of the Lord, which is his unconditional love, his unconditional pursuit of you. Is that good news or? Jamie likes it in the back. This is the, not the counterfeit good news, the real good news that, that God is crazy about you. That when God created you, the longing in his heart is to be in right relationship with you. And so when you live in this relationship with Christ, when you are struggling to hang on to joy, when you don't know how to guard it, when you don't know how to get it back, worship him and then reflect on the fact that you are a son and daughter of God and that you have everything you need and you have no lack. That is the joy of the Lord. I'm going to invite you to stand as we end in worship. And if you're someone who wants to receive some joy this morning, I'm just going to invite you in a, in a posture just to open your palms as a, just a posture of receiving. And maybe you're someone who's lost your joy or you feel like it's been sabotaged uh, and I would encourage you not to leave this morning with, without, without committing to Jesus to abide with him. If you're serious about getting that joy back. So Father, we, we just confess that there's hundreds of ways that we in our humanness sabotage joy. Lord, we confess our addictions. We, we confess materialism. We confess pursuit of relationships over relationship with you. Lord, we confess putting other people, whether they're a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a spouse, a friend, uh, on a pedestal that only you belong on. And Jesus, we just ask that you would take your place as the object of our worship. Lord, that we would cast aside idols that rob us of joy and we would seek you and seek you first. Because your word says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and joy will be a byproduct. And so, Lord, would you highlight even in our hearts today, this week, the things that we're doing to sabotage our relationship with you? And, Lord, that we would carve out time to worship, that we would be a community that is marked by joy, like when we're squeezed, when life circumstances do not go the way we want, when our expectations aren't met, Lord, that what we find coming out of us is joy. And we thank you, Lord, that through your Spirit that's possible. So come, Holy Spirit, fill us. May we guard our hearts for it's the wellspring of life. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So give up your pursuit of happiness. Stop sabotaging, sabotaging your joy by worshiping the created things other than the creator. Guard your heart by giving and trusting. And look at your time and your treasure to explore how you can use that to prioritize Jesus in your life. To worship him. My, pray, my prayer is that you would experience the joy of the Father this week as you go. I'm going to invite our prayer teams forward. Uh, to the front and to the sides if you want to receive prayer for anything. Uh, again, whether that's a physical healing or uh, something emotional going on in your life or uh, a circumstance that is beyond your control or an expectation you have that uh, has fallen short. Uh, or maybe you want to celebrate. Uh, you know, we had a, we had a, we had a pra- praise request uh, or item this morning. We've been uh, praying for uh, one of our members here that... Um, that had uh, some bladder cancer, and he uh, went uh, back for uh, a, a follow-up appointment, and his bladder was gone. Or his bladder was was there. <laughs> Took care of the cancer. Uh, his bladder was still there, and his cancer was gone. So, so we want to. We, we, we want to celebrate those things and continue to lift up those who uh, maybe haven't experienced that healing yet, and we'll, we'll, we'll want to pray with you. So please come forward. Love to pray with you. Uh, let me just pray again and bless you. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are a God of joy. We thank you that you are in a good mood. And Lord, we recognize that our world does not view you that way, but those of us who know you, because you've revealed yourself through your son, Jesus know what you were like. So Father, we thank you that you are this generous, full of grace, full of love, abundant God who calls us to himself to be his children so that we can live without lack. Whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in, Lord, that those things cannot steal or rob our joy. And for this, we're forever grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.